Yeah, there's there's quite a little bit of extension of crypto winter, right? Because you know, from the last time we spoke, there was Terra USD, and then now I think in between there was three AC that happened. I mean, we we talked. Yeah, a little I think bit whenever we met, uh, there was new bad news. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I feel I feel like you know. <laughs> no, you cannot attribute it to this. This is terrible. You're listening to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. The show where personal finance is about the person, not just the numbers. Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. So our topic today is about the crypto winter that has been happening for quite some time. Today, we have Yongjin back in the house again. So welcome back, Yongjin. It's Hello. good to see you after yeah, surviving you a few COVID, <laughs> COVID <laughs> rounds of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yes. and, and you've been to a few crypto conferences, so I actually wanted to ask you, like, what is the sentiment on the mm-hmm. floor right now? So the last, the very last one that I attended was Korean Blockchain Week that mm. happened in Seoul, Korea. Mm. Um, so it was like in the middle of crypto winter that's going on now. <laughs> yes. So I kind of expected that maybe the sentiment from the both entities and retails are probably going to weak. But it was actually the opposite. A lot of, especially the traditional players, like banks, hedge funds, VCs are all attending the crypto events and they show lots of interest. Mm. So it was it was a surprise. So more more mainstream players. Yeah, yeah, in. yeah. Like more traditional guys are very into like they want to learn more about crypto. They want to have more exposure, but they don't know like what's the right path to get into crypto. Mm. For example, like for Korean traditional companies due to the local regulatory issues they are not allowed to directly chip into let's say they cannot create corporate account under upbit or bitum mm. like korean exchanges crypto exchanges that's one example and then they want to learn more about how they can distinguish what's the rock pools and what's the right ones like the real ones hmm. um because you know like there's no centralized like authority. audit company yeah authority to give them a green light whether it's a real one and it's a scam <laughs> so they're really um like they wanted to increase the exposure but at the same time they're a bit lost but right um, now it's still a, still very much a case of do your own due diligence isn't it yeah 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 but it's like it's inefficient and then some of the new players they will make mistakes mm. and they don't have the right access to the right information so you know the consequences of bad due diligence of, of, on, of course on Luna and Three Arrows and yes. many others yes um, but there is definitely hype from traditional players what's that conversation on the recent Ethereum merge how do we best understand the Ethereum merge or what are the consequences okay so Ethereum merge itself basically uh, the validator logic is same, pretty much same but the validation incentive to maintain the node operation mm. was originally given to the miners, uh, but now it's the incentive goes back to the stakeholder, mm-hmm. which is basically like same logic as the stock market works. Like mm. you ha- if you have more common stocks, then you have more voting power. So that's the main change. 
But the consequence of this, first of all, like stakeholder of Ethereum can get some passive income by simply holding Ethereum hmm. and then staking it. And second one is there's a recent rumor about SEC that since it's working more similar way as traditional stock market, Stops, yeah. maybe they can claim Ethereum as security token. Ah, okay. But if it's a security token, then trading Ethereum means you're trading security. So then it's under SEC law. Mm. which will be, I don't know, I don't know what exactly will happen, but there might be some uncertainties on the regulations, especially from, starting from U.S. on Ethereum trading. So that's why the price reaction was a bit mixed. Um, on the merge day, some people bought and some people sold, but <laughs> after that, uh, the price actually went down <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> How many percent are we, are we talking about? I think after merge, it tanked about 25-30%. It's quite significant amounts. In a week? Yeah, in a week or so. Mm. And also the Nasdaq tanked quite a bit. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's quite a little bit of extension of crypto winter, right? Because, you know, from the last time we spoke, there was Terra USD, and then now, I think in between, there was 3AC that happened. I mean, we, we talked yeah, a little bit about that. Yeah, I think whenever we met, uh, there was new bad news. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like, you know. <laughs> no, you cannot attribute it to this. This is terrible. Yeah, it's because some... You know, funds or borrowers. It's um, like a house of, you well, know, it's a domino yeah, yeah, yeah. effect. The redemption cycle is sometimes one month or, you know, a few days or sometimes three, four months. Mm. It depends on like the contracts between the lender and borrower. But that's why it took a while until we actually saw like the it full fresh of, yeah, everything. Yeah, I think, I think dust is almost settling now, but I mean, who knows? <laughs> but my personal, Gut feeling is that I think like more than 90% of bad events already came out. But it doesn't mean that the price will immediately go back up. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like Three Arrows, Hot Luts, yes. those major events, I think most of them already happened. Is there anything that has changed compared to the last bear market in crypto in, in your opinion? Yeah, so the last bear market in crypto, I, I'd say it's end of 2018 and early 2019. So that, that was really cold time. I mean, like there's no hope at all. It was really cold. But mm. now it's a bit different because institutional players mm. they actually view this as a chance to get into crypto market at reasonably cheap price mm. lots of gaming companies are considering hey wh why don't we just issue our own game tokens even though we can fail at some extent i mean they want to keep trying new things in crypto because they saw that once they hit it then the return is Insanely high. Do you, do you feel that you know, the people who are exploring, they're coming in with real capital or they are really in the exploratory stage? I think the amount of capital that they can raise is definitely a lot higher than the last season. Mm. In the first bubble market, the biggest ICO was, I think they raised something close to $1 billion. Mm. But now, like, you know, there are some promising mainnets such as Aptos and Sui. I think their valuation is already multi-billion. Hmm. even on crypto winter market. What's, what's your own take on that? Well, first of all, I was surprised that there are still lots of you know interest with such a large amount of capital um, from the traditional side and also like crypto VCs hmm. on the new projects. So that's one clear sign that the market still has a heat, but it's just not visible because it's, I mean, like after the Luna, three arrows collapse and then some consequences like hold lots and smaller companies uh, failing, 
so the retail sentiment is, is really still really bad. But I also want to, to come in to say that, you know, you, you put in this data point here, which is that there are more users, right? You're saying like Upbit got 2 to 3 million users versus now 10 million. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like there are more user accounts that yeah, certainly so, have been built, but yeah. then there's not as much activity or they're still, you know, on a wait and see kind of approach right now. Well, if you compare some of the numbers, like back in 2018, let's say like, current exchange like Upbit, it's mm. a number one exchange in Korea, they mm. used to have 2-3 million users, but now have 10 million plus. Mm. And Binance used to have like 5-6 million. Now they have, I think, 28 million. Mm-hmm. You can see that the growth rate is already 5-10 times. Yes. And then if you look at the volume, like Upbit and Binance and, and Coinbase, I mean, those major exchanges are creating like huge amount of volume, mm. even these times. So I think that's evidence that the baseline is already way higher than last season. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and you also mentioned that in the previous crypto winter, there was that, you know, random altcoins that are getting pumped in. So, and that's not really happening in this crypto winter, right? Yeah, I think 2017 bubble was triggered by altcoin pump and dump. Mm. But this time, the bubble happened because of the DeFi leverages mm-hmm. and some unaudited, you know, uncollateralized loans by three arrows and, and some many others. Mm. So I think the dynamics is a bit different. And then this time, well, some altcoins are actually of real use, let's say Sandbox. Mm. And then the NFT price is still maintaining some like level. Mm. Although in 2018 crash, a lot of altcoins became like 99% drop yeah. from the top because it was pumped too much. Mm. So yeah, I think I think the market is gradually advancing. And then we're seeing the bottom. So given that, you know, you know, retail investors are sort of right reeling from the aftermath of 3AC, hot or not, you know, all these negative news in the market, right? How do you think regular retail crypto investors should be thinking about protecting themselves while still trying to get that future upside? <laughs> It's hard to avoid all those bad investment options. This is that emotional thing, right? Which we talked about the first time we spoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, don't don't panic and don't be overly excited. Mm. And then thinking back, like Luna, there are lots of fanboys like lunatics because yes. just because the price went up too much. Mm. I don't think lots of lunatics thought too much about you know the UST and Luna dynamics or the potential weakness in the protocol. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's quite tough. I mean, like, if lots of people are on a hype, it's really hard to get away from there. And then you have your own view. So in last year, like, it's hard to not to go into long position because lots of people always talk about, like, hey, let's go to the moon, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But now, like, everyone is talking about, like, something <laughs> bad about crypto. Like, oh, who holds Bitcoin? It's so silly, right? So, like, market's direction, and especially on the retail side, is always extreme and overreacting. And very emotional and very volatile. Very, very, yeah, very volatile. The perception is overreacting than the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. So perception in last year on some altcoins was overly good compared to its fundamentals. And then now the market sentiment is overly pessimistic mm. on the future of the crypto because, well, now everyone is blaming everything. And you also mentioned using trustworthy institutions to hold your assets. But then for like a retail investor, how do they distinguish what's a trustworthy institution versus a not trustworthy institution? Because widely used yeah, might not mean trustworthy. Yeah, there are some ways to verify those numbers. Let's say you uh, hear some advertisement from a random staking service provider well, you better be cautious because, they, okay, so they promise you to give you 5%, 10%, or sometimes 20% return. Mm. 
So high yield means high risk. Yeah. There's this strong implication that if someone gives you a, hey, you can give us your money and it will give you 10% return in a very safe way. Well, that's not true. I mean, it's either scam or they're doing some risky play. Mm. Like, for example, like a lot of staking platforms, they promise 20% easily. Yeah. Exactly. And, and even Luna, like UST, their return was 19, 20%. So lots of people are perceived in a way that, hey, why don't we just put all your money into those DeFi platforms and earn 20%? But we have to think back, then who pays those 20%? Yeah. yeah so Going back to first principles, right? was, where is it coming yeah, from? It's either Ponzi or they have some secret sources mm. that can generate those mysterious high return. Mm. But those high return generation is very hard. Mm. Yeah, and as a trader, I know how hard it is to generate even 20%. And just to add on, today you sent me a bit on the Madoff case, right? So Madoff, also, yeah. I wanted to talk about, you know, how, is because it's difficult for retail investors to see whether or not companies are, you know, their financial position, whether or mm-hmm. not they're overly leveraged. So what are some takeaways that you can share with us on that? Yeah, so we, we talk about many bad events that recently happened in crypto market, but I wanted to give you a good analogy in like financial markets. You know, Madoff, you know, he started raising lots of money, like billions of dollars, and he promised giving away return 10%. Mm. Uh, but then he actually didn't do anything, and he bought lots of luxury items for his family. Mm. And in 2008, lots of investors raised a capital redemption call. Yeah. And then, you know, reality you hits, know, broke hits. up. Yeah, mm. it's it's quite similar to what happened to UST and Three Arrows and Hold Lutz, all, all the same way. So I wanted to say that it's not a crypto's problem. It's mm. just that any financial markets without enough authorities mm. uh, can have similar problems and history repeats. Mm. So it's quite important to double check if someone promises you high yield, Mm-hmm. Madoff promises 10%, UST promised 20%, mm. all right, just step away and don't aim too high return. I know, I mean, this kind of advices are kind of boring and maybe <laughs> disappointing, but that's true. This is an old investment advice, right? The thing is, if it's too good to be true, it probably should look deeper into it. But people don't often, at least from what we've seen play out in the last six or 12 months, people don't always stick to it. I think that's a problem for a crypto market in general to, mm. to resolve because, you know, in traditional financial markets, they have centralized authority that regularly checks those, you know, some bad players or scam players and kick them out. Mm. But in crypto, it's, I mean, there's no enforced power here. Like, mm. There's no centralized watchdog. I think that's a big one of the biggest challenges that this industry is facing. I mean, at the next bubble season, Mm-hmm. We'll see another Luna. We'll see another Three Arrows. Who mm. knows? But it's not even just about do their own diligence on why they are kind of being promised 20% returns, right? You know, that's it. what do they do? Do they like stalk the socials of the girlfriends of the founders or the founders to see if they're buying luxury items? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it happens. That's, one, that's a one indirect sign. Mm. I mean, they all, I mean, all the common... Excess. Yeah, of of those bad players was that they really are into buying some luxurious things and mm. showing off and then keep telling people that, hey, I'm very good. I look at my past record. All Ponzi had great past records mm. by definition. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. So it's important to look at the fundamentals, why they're making this money. I mean, you can view like in 2021, lots of DeFi's 
they promised yield,、mm-hmm. but none of them actually explained why and how they're generating those yields. Some say that thirty percent, hundred percent, like thousand percent. Well, okay, fine. But how do you generate those yields, and why do you give it to me?、Mm. Because if you can generate thousand percent, why don't you just take them all? Yes, <laughs> right. As opposed to just charging a yeah, small fee for and it, even twenty percent. Let's say you can constantly generate twenty percent. You can beat the world's best hedge fund, right?、Mm. By far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, eliminating all those restrictions of fanboys.、Mm-hmm. The answer was actually quite clear. But the hardest part is peer pressure. Like everyone、mm. is talking about. Good things about Luna.、Mm. Everyone is talking like, "Oh yeah, Three Arrows is printing money. They have five billion." Well, no one verified those numbers、mm. and how much book size they had, how much equity and loan ratio they have.、Mm. None of them actually knew the true number.、Mm. Maybe even the founders, co-founders of Three Arrows, didn't really <laughs> know the exact numbers because they. Keep betting too much. I guess the allure of you know when you when you get so much demand from、mm-hmm. the retail investors and you want to kind of ride that wave, right? And、mm-hmm. you, what you're trying to do is to get as much, I guess, like AUM, if you will, and、yeah. and then you think about it later on how you're gonna answer when if there's capital calls and things like that. Yeah, and then like Terraform Labs and Three Arrows, the one common thing is they also invested a lot、mm. back to the projects. So lots of projects are asking capital to them.、Mm-hmm. So they. Become dependent on them and their reputation and their the what they're saying. It's really hard to go against that.、Mm. So, for example, like even I and many other traders, they knew the mechanism of UST and Luna、mm. can be quite dangerous on bearish market.、Mm-hmm. But even though we knew that, we couldn't speak it out. I mean, like we couldn't really post anything against Luna. So th- those pressure is. Suppressing the right voice, but there are people with that, and with social media today, it's much easier to be a naysayer and get your voice out. Is whether or not people have the courage to do it. Yeah, but at the time, there are some like economist and、mm. criticized, it, you know, Luna.、Mm. But then those said, "I don't want to talk about those,、mm. you know, poor people or something like yes, that." Yes, yes, it's really like humiliation. But、yes. then. You know what's the market's reaction? Like they they actually like dough、yeah. over those guys,、yeah. those, those criticism. So I'm not saying that dough is bad person. I'm,、mm. I'm I'm not saying that.、Mm. But my point is, when market is really biased to one direction,、mm. it's really hard to go against it. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's really understanding what you're buying into, right? And this applies for every、mm-hmm. every asset class. It's not just to the crypto market. Yeah,、right? I mean, same for stocks. Same I mean, for stocks. Yeah, lots of lots lots of yeah, not lots of tech and you know bio stocks. They crashed. Yeah, and and I mean, I coming from my perspective, from equities investment perspective,、mm-hmm. right? You know when when I first started out and then、um, the parents of my friends、uh, when I meet for dinner they'll be like oh you know you're 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 analyzing stocks in the US and China like tell us give us a stock to buy give us a stock idea <laughs> and I'm like first of all I don't want to be responsible for whatever losses and and I don't know how how long your holding period is for and there's so many differences right and you know I have my own thesis when it comes to okay I'm putting. This is what I see as fair value for the company. This is what I see as a growth driver. This is my this is my holding period,、mm-hmm. and you know I have certain assumptions, and I'll keep tracking the company. And if anything changes, then maybe my my thought process will change. But then to this uncle who asked me the question, I'm not gonna see you ever again, or like、yeah. I might not see you, and I'm not gonna update you on what my think my latest thinking on the stock is. But then the uncle's like, oh, just tell me what to buy, and I'll buy it. Mm. You know, and that's that's an example of like not doing homework. And then, and then the situation keeps changing. Like you know, this 
current macroeconomic situation. Exactly. Well, not many people could, yeah, predict something close to it. Like you know, no one actually imagined the interest rate can hit four percent by end of this year.、Mm. And then U.S. dollar is too strong. Like、yes. Euro broke the parity. Yes. And then the war is getting longer. Yes. So、I、market mean, is very unpredictable.、Mm. And then volatility is sometimes. A lot higher than you can imagine. Yes,、yep. and it's certainly very interesting times that we live in right now. There's a lot of there's this confluence of many things happening at the、mm-hmm. same time.、Mm-hmm. That's I guess making people a little bit depressed about the financial markets. Yeah, that's why some key numbers and stats actually help you make some critical decisions. As I mentioned, comparing this bear market to last bear market in crypto,、mm. as I mentioned, like you know, if you look at the stable numbers,、mm-hmm. altcoin market cap, number of users,、mm. well, there's no one. Clear key indicator,、yep. but if you review multiple numbers, that actually gives you more statistical confidence that hey, we're closer to the bottom, or maybe at worst case we can have maybe see twenty percent more.、Mm-hmm. But that's it. Then maybe I go in, something like that. So try to use those numer- numerical data、mm-hmm. as much as possible.、Mm. Well, maybe I'm also biased because I'm a quant. <laughs> yes,、uh, but I think numbers are better than emotional. Or judgmental calls, and of course, some people you know who are very into technical analysis will say that every any kind of human emotions are really priced into the price chart, that kind of thing. Yeah, but technical analysis <laughs> is sometimes misleading too.、Mm. So look at the, those core numbers and like be very objective.、Mm. Like a very sober look into. Yeah, some people like you know buy into or have it, get into some position,、mm. and they look up the numbers to justify their past <laughs> actions. <laughs> Or positions, yeah. Those mentality doesn't help at all. I mean, it actually is even worse than no research. <laughs> I mean, doing no research and have less faith on your position、mm. because if you have too much faith on your position, it's really get hard to get out of it. Why do you think people buy into a certain position and then look for data that supports <laughs> that? Again, is it is it it's like a psychological thing? I think it's a psychological thing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's ego problem. I don't know. Like everyone has different psychological reaction to the you know profit and losses,、mm-hmm. like including myself, because <laughs> I'm a human being.、Mm. Is that I get into a certain position and I try to justify my action.、Mm. Yeah. So yeah.、Uh, it's not good. And which is why your your bread and butter is still on the on the algo trading side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which、That's、helps、true. to erase I, I, the emotion. I still do my own personal trading. I mean, but it's always tough for me. Mm. And that's why I try to rely on、uh, long-term trading and then long-term investment,、mm-hmm. not a trading, and then also like more like depending on the numbers, not on guess or hypothesis. Only on the, let's say, oh, next year it will get better. What? Why?、Mm. <laughs> why? Why it should get better by next week?、Mm. I need to have the reasons for that.、Mm. Got it. So I think today we covered. You know, I think I, it was really good to get your perspective on the current crypto winter and to kind of like a have a more like sober, I guess, look on things.、Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this, and also that you emerge. Thank you for listeners who would like to find out more about the work you do. Where should they find you? We have some social media channels,、mm. uh, both Presto Labs, and we're actually building up our own new exchange. It's called AQX. Ah, you can finally talk about it now.、Uh, Yeah, perfect. Yeah, we're about to launch the service in、mm. Q4, sometime in Q4. We'll,、yeah. we'll link it in the show notes anyway. Yeah, sure. Thank you.、Anyone. Yeah. But thank you so much, Youngjin, for being on. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Thank you.、Yeah. Thank you. 
Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcasts at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from MediaCorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time.